The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports Station. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. How we doing? Outstanding. How about yourself? We're good. You ready to like head to Arizona? Like, like you know, uh, ditch the rain. <laughs> oh, you were there yesterday? No, I was ready. Yesterday. Oh, you were ready. Uh, I'll be prepared as soon as the time comes. Gosh, when are you going? So, do you leave like a few weeks early? Like, you know, I really got to get down there. I got to, you know, make sure that the fields look good and, you know, kind of do a little, uh, you know, reconnaissance ahead of time. Do you follow it, behind the pizza oven that you have shipped <laughs> there for right. your place down there? We just pull it on a U-Haul. That, but in, in all honesty, usually right around, you know, Arbitration Exchange Day, which was last Friday for us, is usually the, the time when I really start getting the itch to, to start spring training. And, you know, it's, uh, it becomes pretty real at that point. And we, we typically leave about a week ahead of, of uh, the opening of camp and, and as I mentioned before, you know, over the years, we, we tend to drive down and and uh, take our time getting there. But this year's a little earlier because of the WBC and, and, you know, we're checking in right about the same time. But we'll get to, you know, position players and full squad hmm. maybe a little sooner than we typically do. You uh, I know you had a French bulldog and a bulldog, right? Where where, where are you at right now dog wise? We have we lost a Frenchie uh, last late last summer, and uh, we have two English bulldogs. So ah. they are uh, they, they keep us busy. You feel like you upgraded to a like a larger size. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if I upgraded to a larger size. We, we've got one that's maybe you know he's sizable and out of control, and then we have maybe the daintiest English bulldog that's ever been born. But uh, you know. They're they're fun to be around. I don't know how I transition <clears throat> from bulldogs to arbitration, but I'll just I'll do my best. Yes. Uh, you, you said last week was uh, kind of the start of the itch as, as arbitration began. How did that unfold for you? Uh, the dogs or the arbitration? The arbitration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the arbitration. We we had uh, six arbitration eligible players, and, and we were able to reach settlement with three of them. You know, and three others. We will uh, we'll go through the process and, and head to. Our hearings with Teoscar Hernandez and and Dylan Moore and Diego Castillo, which is just part of the business. And I, you know, I think the the players understand it. We understand it. Nobody loves it, but it's part of what we do. And and in the end, I think everybody walks away happy. Does that mean now that you have to go through the process, or can you guys still agree to something? Uh, we could agree to something. You know, we we adopt the the file and go type mentality, which is, you know, we, we negotiate up until a certain hour, you know, which for us happened last Friday afternoon. And, and if we're not able to, to reach a settlement by that point, we'll just go to a hearing unless there is an opportunity to work out a multi-year agreement mm-hmm. in there. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't have some type of guidelines, many teams in the league, you know, behave similarly and, uh, not all, but many teams in the league behave similarly, and it's just a way of, of effectively setting boundaries on on when you'll negotiate it and and when it's probably best to call in a third party to make a decision. Hey, what do you think of computer projections for players, for teams, et cetera? We, you know, we're looking at the Zips projections, which came out yesterday, and and you know, their Steamer and all these other sort of computer generated projections. 
Do you guys look at those? Do you have your own? Do you care much about or, or, or value the opinion of what the computers project? I uh, really value it, you know, particularly the, the projection system that Fangraphs uses, which, which I think is among the, the most sophisticated in, in what's available you know, on, the, on the Internet. But with, uh, we do our own. We do value it highly, like 29 other teams. You know, we're, we're building a team and we're, we're building it in anticipation of what the returns might be. And, and, you know, fairly or unfairly, we'll look at those zips projections. You know, it's, it's funny if you look back, you know, a year ago, you know, roughly a year ago today, when our zips projections came out for the 2022 season, you know, we've effectively, we've upgraded it at eight of the positions on the field and, and, and including the bullpen uh, year over year. And this year, the, the the improvement was pretty significant, and mostly in line with the way we project it. You know, we, we're we're off on a couple of guys, some guys we see, you know, more potential or, or upside in for this season than than the systems do. And like I've mentioned to you before, those systems need they need major league performance to project major league performance. And you know, we tend to use something that's a little more. It's geared toward the player uh, and and some of the traits that that player embodies, whether it's physical stuff, it's power, it's 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 swing decisions and and some of the things we've talked about through the years. So we tend to rely on our stuff a little more. But I think the, the Fangraphs product is about as good as it gets in what's available to the public. I think baseball and, and Bill James back in the day has always been on the cutting edge of this when it comes to information, obviously have reams and reams and reams of data as well with so many games played. But as you can imagine, Jerry, doing what Salk and I do every day and, and talking about all the different sports, and, and now we're kind of talking and have talked, obviously, a ton about the Seahawks and the value and the Geno Smith value and what these numbers can't measure and what they don't see. I'm just kind of curious over the years as you've – You've worked with these both in-house and studied them outside. What can these algorithms not measure? What is most difficult outside of, as you said, major league projections? What are some of the other areas that are most challenging from your perspective with these algorithms and this data to try to project moving forward? I, this this is pretty easy for me, and it'll it's it's not even particularly abstract. It's there. There are things you can measure and, and things that you just have to see and experience. And, and one of those is experience. And, you know, you will, over time, as you introduce players into your, your, your clubhouse environment, you, you identify leadership abilities. You identify how that player melds into your community, work ethic, you know, what kind of character they have. And, and we don't really have an algorithm, and I'm not sure we ever will, to, to be able to identify those things. And there's a baseball IQ that that is really hard to pinpoint, but you know when you're looking at it. And, you know, when you're around players that have very high baseball IQ, they just know where to be and and, and when to be there. It's, you know, the, the, and, I'll, and I'll borrow from hockey, you know, Wayne Gretzky in the 80s used to always talk about skating to where the puck will be, not to where the puck is. And uh, that's that's built in. That That's an instinct that, that players have that we just don't have an algorithm that can identify. And, and it's it's important and something that we hold highly valuable. 
I would imagine that's got to be even more challenging to try to predict when you're talking about 16 or 17 year old kids, which you're doing in that international free agent class. And you just uh, kind of wrapped up that that portion of your offseason. And I, I want to make sure I'm getting the kid's name right. Is it Felnin Celestin? How do you how do you pronounce the kid's name? Felnin Celestine. All right. Felnin uh, Celestine. Got it. Who is among the best, the best international prospects and in, in recent memory. And depending on, you know, which grading system you, you follow, he's, he's among this year's top group. I think most, there's a pretty fair consensus that his upside potential is, is, is about as good or better than anybody in this class. And it stands out among the shortstops in, in recent memory. So, you know, Phil needs a switch hitter. He has it's a he's a five tool guy. It's we've we've been watching him play and have built a relationship with him, similar to what we've talked about with Julio back through the years. Only with Felnian, it started at an even younger age, where you know our first contact with him. It's now been you know multiple years, and and he's just seventeen this year. So. Uh, you know, it's, he's an exciting young player. He can run, he can throw, he can really defend at shortstop. He's got power. He can hit to all fields. And we, he's, he's grown substantially even since we first laid eyes on him. So uh, it's, uh, there's no telling what the upside could be. And, you know, we think that we're fortunate to, to grab him. And, and Frankie Thon and our, our international scouting people continue to do a phenomenal job in, in just pushing talent into our system. And, and like we've seen with so many of the young players that have come through our Dominican Academy, it's a pushing, pushing good people, you know, good kids into our system that we can really help grow and, and finish their, you know, their, their formative years are going to be spent in, in Boca Chica with our coaches and our teachers and, uh, and under our guidance. And we take that responsibility, you know, Pretty serious. How quickly do you set him up with Julio? Very quickly. <laughs> and, and, you know, as it goes, because Felmin is from the Dominican Republic and, and, you know, Julio obviously from the Dominican Republic, we have many of our DR players tend to cycle through our academy during their off seasons, even after they've reached the big leagues, just to visit, to get a day hitting in the cage and, you know, or something like that. Uh, right now, Julio is in Tampa, but minimally, you know, Felnian, and this is a little different than really any other international player we've signed since I've been here with the Mariners. Felnian is going to come directly to Arizona, and he'll join our mini camp in February with our top minor league players, and and that will be the first time that I'm I'm sure that he spends significant time around Julio, who will obviously be there for the big league camp. I know this is all normal for you, um, but as, as you were kind of rattling the numbers off with Felnine and a five-tool guy, he's switch hitter, he does all this, and he's 17. And the fact that this started not at 17 or 16, but you rewind it back to, I mean, when, when was the first time your guys put eyes on him? 14, 15 years of age, Jerry? Yeah, I think we first saw Felnine play in a youth tournament as a 14-year-old. And and then had, which is, you know, typically in the international market, like we see now, and, you know, I'll point toward little league or travel ball clubs, you know, internationally, you know, there are some countries, many uh, of the, the, the Latin countries, especially who do have built out little league programs. Some don't. And, you know, you're, you're left to scout these players, you know, through viewings with the trainers who train them. And, Many of these players, you know, Felnin among them, uh, and and Julio, you know, back in the day, 
they they work with these trainers starting at very young ages, some as early as 12 or 13 years old, who, you know, will will move into a trainer's academy. And just like we, you know, rear our players at the, the academy in Boca Chica starting at age 16 and 17, you know, they are help, helping these kids grow as baseball players and trying to give them the tools to, you know, to survive. And depending on the, the training facility or the trainer, uh, you know, we, we have a group or groups that we tend to really trust and believe in what they do with their players. And, and we tend to go back to that shop, you know, and if, for instance, Julio and Noel de Marte and, and, and multiple others uh, that we have signed through years all came from, you know, the same group. And you know, we trust, we trust what they're getting along the way. And, and Felonine is, is going to join our system and he's, further along the most in, in the exposures that he's had. It dawns on me as we're talking to Jerry DePoto here uh, on Seattle Sports on 710. We were talking about those projections and, you know, seeing Luis Castillo at a, you know, projected 4.8 wins above replacement sitting atop your rotation when this year begins. What, what does it mean to have that, to have an ace, to have Luis Castillo set and ready to go to start your season? It's it's huge, and we talked about it last summer when we acquired them. You know, we we were maybe irrationally high on what we thought Luis Castillo could deliver for us, and, and then he delivered it, and particularly delivered it once we got into the postseason. We think that that the Rock is an ace. That this is what they look like. It's it's all the weapons. He attacks the strike zone. He's got a presence and, 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 and it stands up when you're facing the best lineups in short series, which is, you know, another big thing. And, and when I look at those projections, when you see Luis sitting at the top of it, you know, the, the thing that appeals to me most is, you know, a year ago this time we had, we had six starters listed on the, the zips projections, only one of them above 1.8. And this year we look at those projections and we only have one below 2.6, which is a pretty exciting thing. And uh, to have that kind of depth and impact with legit age value at the top and, and feeling like we could then run out our next three starters who can pitch alongside just about anybody in the league. And also feeling like, and this is not being critical of the system. I said, it takes time. I, I feel like the guy who's on the low end of that is George Kirby, who we think has considerably more now upside. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we have to wait three years to, for George to reach his ceiling. We saw it last year, what he's capable of. So what do you do? I mean, you, you know, looking at this now, you've got six guys in your rotation that are major league starters. You've mentioned to us that, that uh, Miller may be ready to go right off the bat. And, you know, Zips, we were talking to Dan Samborski yesterday who created that, and he said their computer actually even likes – Miller more than some of the guys that are in your rotation now for this year. Can you go with a six man rotation? Can you go, you know, are you willing to put all of those guys out there at once? We could, you know, but like we did last year when, you know, after we acquired Luis, when flex went to the bullpen, that there's, there's so much value in having, you know, multi-inning depth, someone who can pick up those long innings, especially when you're limited to 13 pitchers on a roster. So, you know, we want to be open to that. We do feel like, you know, between the the six guys on our, you know, in our major league rotation mix right now and the group that comes after it, this is as deep as we have ever been. And I've I've been doing this for a number of years now, and it's as deep as any team I've ever had in terms of of starting pitching. And 
And I, and I say that, and I know we're still going to be in a situation in June or July where we're biting our fingernails thinking, are we going to have enough innings tomorrow? <laughs> but this is, uh, this is why you build, and our system has, has really developed to the point where you know, it's not only Logan and, and George and what they're able to contribute to our rotation, but guys like Bryce Miller and Taylor Dollard and, and, and a group of six or eight that are lined up right in back of our big league group that we think are very capable as well. It feels like in a lot of sports, Jerry, conventional wisdom has been flipped on its head a little bit. Basketball has become more positionless. And and I'm just kind of curious from a rotation standpoint, one of the things that Dan said to us yesterday is really the Mariners have three number twos. You have an ace in, in Ray and Kirby and Gilbert, really three number twos. Do you still, do teams around the league still pin guys? At, he's a one, he's a two, he's a three, he's a four, he's a back end of the rotation. Does that still exist in your guys' realms today? You know, we do, and I think that's it, it's it's part and parcel for, for the league we operate in and, you know, we, where we started the conversation, at least this part of it, when talking about an ace. You know, there's, you know for, for years we've talked, in, in, in my lifetime, we've talked about the, the true aces and then the difference that they make. And, and the reason why you tend to do that is you're lining, you're lining up your pitchers based on what your anticipation or expectation is in a, in a postseason short series. And you know, the, the advantage that you have when you have, you know, the, the kind of impact and depth that, that we have is it's real. And you know, I can vividly recall, and, and it wasn't too long ago, like some, sometime early last year, when you know the, the pundits may have looked at our rotation and they saw you know five number fours <laughs> and <laughs> and now we've got a, a legit ace and, and three number twos so you know things change and you know the I, with the exception of, of Luis Castillo I think that's a the, the faces haven't changed just their you know the, the way people perceive them has based on you know things that we have seen since the day they entered our organization and expectations that we had of their growth. It's now real, and and they are, you know, they've done it on a big stage. They've done it in a postseason, and you've seen the physical stuff. And you know, George Kirby's not just a, you know, a, a, a consistent strike thrower. He's a consistent strike thrower who's throwing 97 miles an hour with wicked secondary stuff. That's a that's different. And I think, uh, you know, the same could be said about Logan Gilbert or you know, fill in the blank, and and hopefully the the next layer as well. So. It's an exciting time for us, pitching-wise. Well, and, and bullpen-wise as well. I mean, the, this bullpen should be stacked. And, and again, the, the projection systems really like your bullpen as well. Do you expect the the roles in that pen to remain, I'll use the word non-traditional, just because there's not one closer who comes in for the ninth inning every time and one guy for the eighth? Do you expect that to continue? You know, I, I kind of do. And, you know, like Brock said about, the you know the NBA maybe not have, being positionless at, at this point bullpens at least our bullpen uh, for the last few years while it's been at its best you know we we tend to just bucket our pitchers up based on the the leverage and where you are in a lineup and you know right now we go into the season and we have multiple pitchers who we trust in you know in our high leverage bucket and and now it's just a matter of determining what is the best matchup you know, for the Mariners, not necessarily, you know, for that pitcher, because whether it's Paul Seawald or Andres Munoz or Matt Brash, we trust all those guys against any part of a lineup. It's trying to set them up to make sure that the other guy is in a, a premium position as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, 
it's a fun bullpen. We got a lot of stuff. Uh, I know last week or even the week before, since we've acquired a couple of, of really interesting bullpen arms, it's this is what we do. We, we you know, we grab the J.D. Bukowskis's, we grab the, the Justin Topas, and, and, and not all of it's going to work, but we've had a fair amount of success converting those players, their natural skills, into something, you know, impactful in our bullpen. And, and credit to Trent Blank and to Pete Woodworth and Max Wiener and our pitching group. They, they do a phenomenal job with that. And, and maybe we're, we're a little overconfident in believing that they can continue to do that. But, you know, as long as we can go out and acquire pitchers who have the physical abilities that these guys do, we do feel, you know, pretty certain that if we acquire enough of them, we're going to be able to build an impact bullpen and, and do it in ways that maybe seem, you know, non-traditional, but, they're becoming more traditional with each passing year, not just because of the Mariners. As I'm thinking about spring training, last thing for me here, um, I'm thinking about being down there and how there's always like one guy that everybody wants to get a little glimpse of that we haven't seen yet. Like, oh, you got to go see Matt Brash's slider. or You got to go see what was the kid a few years ago from uh, God. He came in and pitched an inning or two for you guys and then went to Chicago who just threw, you know, a, a million. Oh, that, yeah. Tiago Vieira, is that his name? Tiago Vieira. Yes. Yeah, Tiago Vieira. And I just remember he was just watching him in spring training. He's like, whoa, you just got to get a look at this guy. Do you have a young player in your system, whether it's a pitcher or a hitter, that we just have to go take a look at just to see the raw skills or the raw tools or something that he'll show at spring training? Well, you know, the one that jump will jump off the page simply because of what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation is, is if you get a chance to go to the backfields during the, the mini camp and watch Felnine, it's, it's pretty special what he's able to do at his age. And, you know, that, that truly stands out, but in the big league camp and those who we've all right, we've right now we're anticipating 73 players in big league camp. Wow. Uh, we'll lose, you know, we'll lose close to, wow, we'll, we'll be near double digits or, or maybe even double digits and players leaving us for the WBC. But, you know, the guy that, that really stuns you, if you have, you know, three days to go sit on the backfields and watch the physical ability on the field is Harry Ford. And you know, when you see Harry, it is, he is about as athletic looking a catcher as you're ever going to come across. It's like the, he is, he is incredibly, detailed and how he takes care of his body and, and disciplined and how he eats. So it stands out immediately how athletic he looks, especially for a catcher. And he's not, a, he's not a tall, you know, person, but he's a, he gets on the field and the tools play big. It's a, you know, he, he just starts hammering balls and, and you're going to see the, the six or eight homers in a row. And they're not all to the pole side. He'll hit them to the, the big part of the field and oppo. And then you watch him execute his at bats, and it's so disciplined. You know, he's it's he's a very advanced player for his age, which I think is why you know up to and including in I guess the recent Baseball America Top 100, where, where we were fortunate, we we landed three guys again, and and uh, you know Harry was the highest of that group, and they they actually projected him forward as our third baseman after <laughs> after Gino you know, departs, and and. Because of that athleticism, it's certainly not because he can't. He's he can throw. He's a good receiver. He does all these things well. But like Bryce Harper, you see the athlete and the impact with the bat, and your natural inclination is move him and get in there quicker. But he is the guy that really does stand out. 
So like a modern day Benji Molina is what you're saying, or Sal Fasano. <laughs> no. yes, something like that. Okay, something just checking. Like hey, Jerry, thank you. Uh, it's good to just be talking baseball on a gray, you know, raining, god-awful, springish winter day here. It's just terrible. So thank you. It's nice to start thinking about the future, thinking about warm weather, and thinking about spring training. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. Talk to you soon.